In your Bible, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. If you're new or you're watching online, uh, I'm Pastor Lucas Cunningham, and we are so glad that you are here and um, here with us on this cold, wintry, hopefully last cold Sunday right now, right? And uh, so we um, are excited that you are here. Uh, so last week, last word about the donut bowl, um, I voted, and then my wife looked at me and said, I voted the complete opposite of you. And uh, so we're a house divided when it comes to Bill's Donuts and Donut House, and um, I'm a Donut House guy, but there were some very good Bill Donuts as well. All right, here we are in Ephesians. Let's all stand, if we would, in honor of God's Word. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, and who were proud of their circumcision. And even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts, in those days you were living apart from Christ, and you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. And once you were afar off from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between the Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by the means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in a world that seems so divided, in a world that seems to um, at times um, have so many unfair things happen in different countries, to different people groups, to different social issues that we have even in our own country, and even some of the racism that we see and that we deal with, God, we are reminded that you bring all people together underneath the cross. That there needs to be forgiveness, there needs to be grace, and that Jesus unites us. Without Jesus, we'll remain divided. We love you, we praise you, in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. For nearly half a century, the Iron Curtain split Europe into east and west, at least east, there in Germany. The separation was physical, it was political, and it was spiritual. Now, physically, a heavily militarized uh, border cut like an ugly, jagged scar from the Baltic Sea in the north to the Adriatic Sea in the south. Politically, it separated the communist east from the communist west. 
in what you have known as the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall stood from about 1945 to about 1989. I was a kid when that wall fell. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget when the President of the United States stood up and Ronald Reagan said, um, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And it was torn down. It was divided spiritually as well. On one side, you had the communist who were atheists, who had no interest in God, no interest in having churches there. And on the other side, you have the West, where they were free to worship. There was capitalism. On the side, interesting enough with capitalism, they drew on the wall. On the other side, they couldn't get near the wall. You got near the wall trying to escape, they shot you. Now just something, and I realize 1989 to some is a long, long, long time ago, especially if you're young. But just a reminder, on one side of the wall, the communist side, they were trying to get to the capitalistic side. One side, they would shoot you for trying to go over the wall. The one side welcomed you. Just saying, might want to remember that, because history tends to do what? Repeat itself. And we see in our social climate today that Socialism and communism is greatly pushed, and an anti-God um, rhetoric goes throughout our colleges and even really our schools today. We've taken out God, anything mentioned of any kind of a religion at all, and we've put in secularism. And what we really have done is taught, taught kids in our public school system that you're really a mistake. You're really just a chance, a byproduct of evolution. Now, it has nothing to do with my message, but I'm just saying that we are setting ourselves up in our country for such divisions. Now, I can't do much with that. There's probably not much you can do with that. But the Berlin Wall falling made an unforgettable mark on the men and women who witnessed it, who saw it, even as a kid of seeing that. It was a monumental moment. But this wall falling down has nothing to compare than the, the moment when Jesus Christ tore down the wall of separation, separating humanity for centuries. And though this wall had been meant to preserve God's Jewish people from moral and spiritual corruption as they represented their God before the other nations around them, it quickly became a divider that alienated the Gentiles who were meant to receive God's blessings through the Jewish nation. Now, maybe you're new to church and you're hearing this word Gentile. What really is a Gentile? Well, in Bible times, Old Testament times, you were either Jewish or you were a Gentile. It didn't matter if you were black, whatever, white, whatever color you were, tan. It didn't matter. If you weren't Jewish... You were a Gentile. That's how it worked. In the New Testament, we even see that um, they were half Jew, uh, half Jewish, um, the Samaritans. They were part Gentile, part Jew. And in fact, the Jewish people would travel a longer way around that land not to even go through it. I mean, you talk about hostility. There was hostility. And you know the story about Jesus meeting the woman at the well. He was showing that he is tearing down those, those walls. But God had made... God had made the nation of Israel separate. 
The law of Moses and the sacrificial system had marked God's path of holy living for the Jews. And yet Gentiles stood outside the gate, aliens to the promises, foreigners to the covenants, and dejected outcasts from the knowledge of God. And all this changed when Christ tore down the wall. In the first part here in this letter of Ephesians, Paul makes a sharp contrast from our former lives that were as unbelievers, that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were made alive in Christ. But here Paul turns to another contrast between the Gentile and the Jew. This time he describes in vivid language how a deep gulf that had once separated the two people groups had been bridged by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And upon this new level foundation of equality, a new temple, the church is being built. And this is what we see. We see that the blood of Christ unites. And it invites. And that's what we see. God had made a sovereign choice of choosing the nation of Israel. He gave them certain dietary laws, ways to do their sacrifices that yeah, there were other groups that made sacrifices, but he gave them specifics. He gave them of how he wanted it to go, the sacrificial the system to play out. Now, why did God make even some of these dietary laws? Um, and when you read the Old Testament, you see there's dietary laws. They couldn't, there was unclean animals and there were clean animals. There were certain animals they could eat and not eat. They couldn't eat pork. They didn't have bacon. Right? They didn't have any of that. And praise God, we can eat bacon today. Crispy, nice bacon. Some of you like it floppy bacon. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know what's wrong with you personally. <laughs> Jesus loves you, but he doesn't love floppy bacon, in my opinion. And why would God make those dietary laws? Was he trying to be mean? Did he just not want them to have bacon? No, no. He wanted these people to stand out. And when bacon's not on the menu, you're going to stand out of like, whoa, wait a second. What is going on? Who is their God that we've heard these great things in which he has done? He wanted them to stand out so that all of the Gentiles, all of the world could see God's light. He could, like a light on a hill pointing them to him. But instead of building bridges, the Jewish people built walls. They built walls. And they became, they became really inward focused instead of outward focused. And they treated the Gentiles poorly. Now maybe you're Jewish or you have, you're part Jewish. But if you're like me, you're probably almost 100% Gentile. And that's fine. I think my brother did one of the DNA tests, and he's, it said that we were 3%. I don't know where, I don't know how, but 3%. Maybe everyone has 3%. I don't know. Was, those DNA files are, are, are very interesting, and um, you should fill one out, so if you ever do a crime, they'll catch you, all right? So there you go. <laughs> but the blood, it invites. It invites, and he made them a peculiar people. You could say they were the first true Jehovah Witnesses, not the Jehovah Witnesses of the day, but true Jehovah Witnesses. God wanted to use them as a nation to reach others. 
And so rather than carrying out their divine assignment and responsibility, they became exclusive. And became exclusive and hostile towards the other nations. Now granted, the Jewish people have had um, their run-ins with other people. They've been persecuted. And as Christians, we, we love Israel. We, we love the Jewish people. We do. Amen? I mean, Jesus was a Jew from the, from the tribe of Judah. And so we, we love Jewish people. And so I don't want this to come across as well at all that we don't love Jewish people. But, but that's what happened. That is history. And that's how Gentiles were treated. And prejudice is not something that is just new to our day. It, it is something that is old in the hearts of men and women. And in those days, the Jews had prejudices against everyone else. They referred to the Gentile people as uncircumcised. Now, if you're young, you're like, well, yeah, what's, what's circumcised? You asked your parents about that, okay? And uh, they'll describe that to you. But um, it, it's something medically that the Jewish people did. If you were Jewish, you were circumcised. All your males were circumcised. And Gentiles, it was something they did not practice. Many practice it today, even in our own country, for different reasons. And, um, but it was something they were proud of. And they were so focused on the physical, the flesh circumcision. God's like, I, I want your heart. The heart needs circumcised. You need a new heart. You need a relationship with me. Now, some would ask, how were the Old Testament saints saved? Were they saved just by keeping the sacrificial system? The sacrificial system was just evident of their faith. And they were saved the same way we are today, by faith alone. In fact, Paul talks much in the book of Galatians and in Romans and um, in the New Testament how Abraham, Father Abraham, who had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, remember that song? How he was, his faith was counted to him for righteousness. He was saved by faith. That's how Old Testament saints are saved. Today, people who are Jewish are not going to heaven just because they were Jewish. Um, they're going to heaven by their faith in Christ, in Christ alone. It's the same for all people. And, um, and so God had chosen Israel as a nation, but it still was up to the individuals to have faith in God. <clears throat> some did, some didn't. Now, when you read the Old Testament, there are Gentiles who came to faith. You do read about it. I'm just going to mention a, a, a few. There's probably even more, but uh, you have Ruth, the book of Ruth. You have Jonah. He goes to Nineveh, which is a Gentile city, and he preaches. He didn't want to go. If you know the story, he goes, and um, it took him a while, I think like 40 days to walk through the city of Nineveh. It's so huge. Um, and uh, uh, his, his message was basically uh, repent, God's going to kill all of you if you don't. I just paraphrase, but that basically was the message, and revival broke out. You never know how revival is going to break out. Jonah didn't want to be there. It was kind of like a kid uh, who didn't want to listen to his father, but was made to do it, so he did, and um, they all repented. And then, because revival broke out, he was depressed because of it. 
Go read it. I mean, that's what it reads. He's mad. He's like, oh my goodness, all these people repented. They're all, Gent- they're all Gentiles. And so we see Gentiles coming to faith in the Old Testament. It's not that it didn't happen. It did. But not to the level in which God desired and what his will was for the nation of Israel. And we do see, we do see uh, the Apostle Paul that... Um, wants us to see that in these verses that what God has done in Jesus Christ to make all one in the church in the Lord. And in verse 11 and verse 12, he sets before us the, the sinner's distance. We all are born in sin. We all have sin. We fall short of the glory of God. And in verse 11, I mean, it's reading like, I mean, don't forget, you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were Far from God. You were called uncircumcised heathens. I mean, who wants to sign up to be called names by the Jewish people? Uncircumcised. And he goes on, verse 12. In those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know about their covenant promises God had made with them. And you lived in a world without God and without hope. But then, and so we see these, the Gentiles were separated or alienated in two ways. Socially, socially, they were excluded. Spiritually, they're cut off from God, strangers from the covenant, no hope. And God's will was for the Jewish people to be a peculiar people, to be a peculiar people. And as you look through the Old Testament with all the different laws, and you look in it, it's a foreshadowing of the Messiah who would one day come. And it's easier to look back than probably in the moment, but it's a foreshadowing. The book of Hebrews talks about this. From the temple to the tabernacle, all of a foreshadowing of the Messiah who we believe to be Jesus Christ who came. And I love how it reads in verse 13. But now you have been united You've been united. You were far from God. You were without hope. You had nothing. But now you're united with Christ Jesus. You were once far away from God. But now you have been brought near to him through your good works? No. Through being a good person? No. By hanging out with Jewish people? No. But through the blood of of Christ. That's it. That's it. And the blood unites. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, so he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. The blood was shed for all. And if you were to go back, we're not going to turn there, but Romans chapter 11 um, talks about how the Gentiles came from a wild olive tree, and that wild olive branch was cut off and put into the Israel, or grafted in, into the Israel olive tree representing Israel. We were grafted in. And spiritually, we are the seed of Abraham. And so he's pointing out, he's pointing out to all, to all of us, the blood invites us all. The blood unites us. All of us. Here's the second point. The body, the body that unites. 
You see, we once were Christless, but now we're in Christ. We once were stateless, but now we are citizens in the kingdom of God. You once were friendless, but now we have a friend in our Lord. We once were hopeless, but now we have a promised glorious future. We once were godless, but now we can call God our Father. Herod's temple had many courts allowing different levels of access. And give you an idea, I have a chart here I want to show you of the temple and who could go where. Now maybe it's small print and you're going to have a hard time reading it, but you'll get the idea. Only the high priest could enter the innermost holy of holies, and that was once a year. In fact, when he would go in, they would tie a rope, according to tradition, interlaced with gold, and they had a bell on him. It was once a year that if this priest was not right with God, God would smite him on the spot. And no one's going to go, you know what, I think I'll go in as well. You're completely disobeying the Lord. And so they had a way to get him out just in case. It was serious, serious business. Outside the most holy place, the Levites on duty for daily worship operated the holy place within the temple. Just outside the temple building surrounded it was the court of priests where the altar and the burnt offering stood and they would, they would they'd make those sacrifices. Male Jews had access to the adjacent court of Israel and the Jewish women were limited to the court of women. Like preacher, I don't like that. The, court, the Jewish women didn't go, where the, didn't go to go where the Jewish men were worshiping? Correct. Correct. Just how it was. But it's but this is how God set it up. Now, if you don't like it, you can talk to God about it. I'm just telling you what it was in there. I'm like, God, I don't know if I really like this. But whatever. He didn't ask me for my opinion. You see the big court? That is a court for the Gentiles. That's as close as you could go. And in fact, archaeologists found, I'm going to read it verbatim, of a sign they found Along the wall. Now you see the large outer wall. Gentiles were allowed to go inside that. But you see where you see the temple and there is that wall, that wall of separation. They could not go into that court. You were outside. You could look up and you could see the temple. That's as close as you were getting, my friend. This is what the sign said. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. I think it was serious. You don't pass there. And so that's as close as I would have been able to get back in those days. The Gentile court. And in fact... When you read in the New Testament, they were meeting, a lot of their large group times would have been near the temple, some even in the temple court, where they were able to preach to many at one time, where everyone could join. This thick stone barrier was called the wall of separation, and it represented the great divide between the Jews and the Gentile. And so what Jesus did when it says in verse 14 that he broke down the wall of separation, or he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us, not just physically, but spiritually. 
when he rose again from the grave, the veil of the temple, which if my memory serves me correct, I didn't look this up, I've looked it up for Easter and things, I believe it was around 30 to 40 feet high, I can't remember how wide it was, but I remember it being the veil of the temple, I believe around two or three inches thick, approximately. This was not like a curtain in your home where your kids decided, you know what, I'm going to climb the curtain, and they messed up your curtains. This veil was huge, it was thick, and when he rose, he broke that veil, he tore it from top to bottom, showing that God will no longer be separated by man. That's what Jesus did. He broke down this wall of separation. He wants all people of all nations, of all races. He wants them to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants a relationship with them. He has torn down the wall. The only solution to the domestic problems that plague America is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the answer. With all due respect, I don't put a lot of hopes in politicians. In fact, if you were to take the word a politician or politics, in the Greek, poly means many. Ticks is a blood-sucking parasite. No wonder it's called politics. And I'm not saying we can't have strong political opinions, but you know, regardless and I just want you to know, church, when it comes to the election year, I, I, I will preach on issues, abortion, other issues that are clearly biblical, that need to be touched on, that need to be talked about. But when it comes to politics, um, I, I just, I'm not interested in being their puppet in the church. So I'm going to preach the Bible and if politics crosses over into the church world and, the, and, and, and into the Bible world, into the preaching, then so be it. I'll deal with it. But if it doesn't, um, I, I just, I'm not up here to make sure you vote red or blue or in between. Like, that's not my main goal. Because whoever wins, regardless, this is what I know, Jesus is king, and my hope is in him anyway. And so when I read God's word, and I read what goes on in this world, the Bible is clear that in days, many people are going to be far from God. They're going to be given in the marriage. I'm not surprised by some of the difficulty that we see and that is possibly even coming in our world. And I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to, it's not the end of the world if this one party wins or this one party wins. I'm going to focus on Jesus. That's where I put my hope. I may want one certain party to win or a certain candidate to win, but at the end of the day, my hope isn't in politics. And let me tell you, if your hope is so much in politics that you think politics is going to change the world for the better overall, there's some things that it'll do. Sure, I'm not saying it's not important, but man, you're going to be really disappointed. You're going to be really disappointed. And because um, um, you never know. You never know what is going to happen in this world. And, um, and 2020 proved a lot of that. I mean, 2020, how much fun was 2020? Man, you had racial issues, you had COVID, you had the election going on. Let me tell you what, it was not a fun time to be a pastor in 2020. I'm just going to let you know, it was not. 
You're getting beat up on each side, man. It was crazy. Mask, no mask. Remember that? That was a lot of fun, too. Let's not do that again. So here we are. And so while there may be some benefits of social programs, the ultimate answer for our world today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whether someone is white, black, Asian, whatever they are, what do they ultimately need? They need the Lord. Christ has broken down the walls. He reconciles us to God and reconciles us one to another. Galatians tells us this in chapter 3, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Spiritually, we need to be right with him. We even see this in the early church. When you read the book of Acts, it covers a period of around 35 to 38 years, and you get a lot of it condensed. But, but Peter, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, you know, one of the head disciples, um, he is, though there was this conflict where you have in the New Testament where you have Christians wanting to follow Jesus, but still kind of hanging on to the tradition of the law and holding on to um, some of the different laws. Some of it was dietary, some of it was other things. And they were trying to marry them together, and that was an issue. And Paul um, dealt with many of that in some of the different churches. But this is what Peter said. And, and there came a time with Peter, where Peter had a dream of a white sheet coming down three different times with clean and unclean animals on it. And this Lord told him, hey, you can eat whatever you want to eat, including bacon, praise God, amen? Anything you want to eat. In Acts 10, 28, 29, I'm just going to read it. He says, you know, get this, this is mind-boggling. You know it is against the laws for a Jewish man to enter the Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me what you sent for me. Why you sent for me. This is Paul as he's in the home of Cornelius, a Gentile. And he's in his home. And so Paul's like, man, the law says I shouldn't even be here. But God has told me to break down this wall of separation, to meet with you. And this is what Peter replied in verse 34 and 35. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. And in every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And so Peter preaches the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of, and return of Jesus. He doesn't even get to finish his sermon, and the Spirit of God falls on the Gentiles as Peter, an apostle, is there. And they begin to speak in tongues. Now, Acts can be a little confusing, but I'm going to kind of help out just a little bit. In Acts 2, you have the Jewish Pentecost, really. In Acts 8, you have the Samaritan Pentecost. In Acts 10, you have the Gentile Pentecost. And each one of those did not happen until a church father, Peter, and usually John, was already there to verify it. Why? Why did God do such a thing in that kind of way? Because he won the show. The Jewish church in Jerusalem, he won the show. The Gentile church the Samaritan church that was half Jew, half Gentile, that God is in this, that God is interested not in dividing you,
but in uniting you. And in fact, persecution ended up being so bad in the church in Jerusalem that the Gentile church had to end up financially helping the Jewish church. And it was a way of God showing through the Spirit of uniting these brothers and sisters in Christ and showing them there is no division any longer. And so Peter sees this, wow, what could hinder us from baptizing everyone? Nothing. You are all our family and they are baptized. And so let's be really clear. The gospel brings harmony. And this is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God and through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That's how Peter ends that meeting with Cornelius. I'll tell you something neat. I, don't, I listen to some preaching, but I don't listen to a lot of preaching. Probably should listen to more preaching. But one guy I like to listen to, um, one of the many different preachers, is Tony Evans. And so Thursday, um, you know, some of you were building a house, and I was moving dirt, getting things prepped to start on the foundation. And so I had a skid steer, and I was listening to music, listening to some podcast. I was like, man, I need to listen to some preaching. So I'm going to listen to Tony Evans. So I go over to Tony's podcast, and um, the first one comes up, says part two. I'm like, well, I'm going to listen to part one before I listen to part two. And it's just a, the newest ones. So I go to part one, and I hit click. And you never guess what passage he turns to. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Now, my sermon's about 90% done on Thursday. Like, I still make some tweaks and stuff. But Wednesday, it's pretty much done. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, he is preaching on the same passage, and I haven't listened to him probably in a couple months. Like, I, I, okay, God, you have my attention, all right? Now, it's not always like this little thing, but like, God, I, you know what? You don't have to write me an email or shoot me a text. I got it. You're sending me a podcast right now. And I'm listening. And um, it was very good. And the title of his message was Heaven's New Community. That believers need to take lead in bringing people together cross-culturally, cross-racially, and cross-socially to model the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of men. That was his message. And I'm reminded that it's Black History Month in February, that as while we're studying something about the Jews and Gentiles, we also have racial divide even in our own country. And until Jesus returns, we will always deal with some amount of racism between all people. Um, because people are sinners and racism is rooted in sin at the end of the day. It is. And while we can't help what other people do, we can help what we do and how we love and we treat people. But for the believer, for the believer, and I believe this, and from listening to Brother Evans' message, he would agree with this because it's part of his message, was many try to bring peace through their own way. Some will seek revenge, eye for an eye. And when will racism go away? Well, possibly never. But what, but what, the, what is the answer for racism today? The racism is, gospel, is the gospel, period. Of whether you are white, black, Asian, whatever you are, Mexican, whatever it is on the outside, God wants to change the heart on the in, 
side. Everything else that we think is going to fix any racial issue is really a facade. If you think politics is going to make what are racial issues that we have better, it usually just makes them worse. The gospel unites. The gospel forgives. And on the racial tensions we have, there needs to be forgiveness. The world doesn't teach forgiveness. There needs to be grace between different uh, races of people. And underneath the hood of the church and in the kingdom of God, we need to be reminded that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And we need to be reminded of that. And man, if there's anyone that we are hating or despising because of the shell of themselves, the outside, whatever color it is or whatever they look like, that for us to do that as Christians is rooted in sin and not rooted in Christ. And we're rooted in Christ. And something Tony said, and you can go back and listen if you want, this is what he said, that whether we are white, black, Asian, if we are putting our identity in what color we are before putting our identity in Christ, we have it backwards. We have it backwards. And some things that he shared as well was about how, hey, as a young man, he was kicked out of some white churches. Now, Brother Tony could have ranted about that. He could have been holding on to that anger about that, and, and who would blame him, right? But he chose to forgive instead. He chose to forgive instead and realize that God would deal with that sin issue of that church and those people. So as a people of God, the gospel, we're reminded, it unites us. See, the result of the gospel in our lives is this, is Matthew 22. Matthew 22 tells us this. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Those who are around you. And Christians, if we do not love our neighbor, if we don't love other people, it doesn't mean we always agree on everything. We can disagree and still love one another. Amen? I mean, my wife voted for the wrong donuts. I still love her. You know, in the Smithsonian Institute, and I've seen, I've seen the Hope Diamond. It's a beautiful diamond. It's a beautiful diamond. It's in the Smithsonian Institute. weighs around 45 and a half carats, and its value is estimated to be around 400 to 500 million dollars. I want to ask you a question. If you took that Hope Diamond and you put it in the ugliest box you could find, beat up cardboard box would it lose any of its value of course not whether you put it in the nicest box or the ugliest box it's still going to have the same value and listen god has made every one of us and has given us a soul you see you are not your body your soul you have a soul 
In the body in which you have, God has put in it a soul. You are a soul. And that soul is more valuable than any hope diamond you could ever have. And he loves you. And he died for you. And every person, every person, regardless what the outside looks like, regardless of what the world says of that box being pretty or ugly or this color or that color, every soul is so, so valuable to God. And we should look at people the same way that God looks at people. And they are incredibly precious, so precious to Him. And maybe you're here this morning, and you don't feel valued. Maybe in your life, maybe you're very insecure. Maybe it's because of the way that you grew up. Maybe you were always looked down on. Maybe you were always the one not picked to be on the team. Or in your own family, you were treated like trash. And I want you to know in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, you are incredibly value, valuable. And if you're available to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you'll make your life available, he can use you in a very special way. He can use you to further the kingdom of God. That's his will. That's his desire. The question is, will you line up? Will you line up with the Lord and his will? Let's pray. Let's pray as we close our eyes. If you're here or you're watching, I want you to know that God is seeking to save that which is lost. Regardless of how broken you are, how sinful you are, where you find yourself at, your soul is so, so valuable to him. And any soul that will repent of their sins, put their faith and belief in Christ, he will save. Not because you deserve it, but simply because you asked. And he's made it available to all who will bend the knee, who will humble themselves before him. You can pray, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I'm putting my faith and belief in you. And from this day forward, God, I'm going to live for you. And maybe you're here and Quite frankly, there's some issues in your life. There's some sin issues. God already knows what they are. What's the answer? Confess them. Confess them. Maybe you need help. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. That's what our brothers and sisters in Christ are for. That's what leaders in the church are for to help lead you. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to point you to the truth of God's Word. God's instruction manual has been given to us to teach us and to show us how to live, how to experience life. 
to experience it. Experience it and for it to be, uh, his blessings to be abundant. So God, I thank you for all who are here. I pray that we'll continue to focus, focus on sharing the gospel with other people around us. That we are reminded that our answer is not in politics. Our answer is the cross. The cross doesn't build walls, it builds bridges. And may we as Christians in the kingdom of God seek to build bridges cross-culturally, cross-racially, and with those who are around us. We love you, we praise you, in the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.